According to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our growth comes through the scriptures. Uh, We are in uh, the book of Acts presently as we are introducing the prison epistles. I'm uh, calling this uh, our our pep talk, if you will. Um, Had a couple of pep talks already, and by pep, I mean P-E-P, a prison epistle preview. All right, we need to get our background on the prison epistles. We need to uh, learn the the, uh, the first, second, and third missionary journeys and and uh, the life of Paul as that Luke records, and then the significant aspects that Luke omitted, Luke's omissions. Uh, when you compare them with Paul's admissions, they become uh, noteworthy. In fact, uh, repeatedly, up to 30 of them, different details here and there of things that Luke left out that he chose not to record in the book of Acts, and then Paul mentions them in hindsight years later. Paul mentions in hindsight, oh yeah, by the way, it was 14 years ago when I got this thorn in the flesh, okay? (laughs) Well, that never showed up in uh, in Luke, right? There's other things that come up. Paul will talk about being shipwrecked three times. And that's prior to the shipwreck we read about in, in Acts 27. And so, you know, that means that the Acts 27 shipwreck is at least his fourth shipwreck, okay? That's, a, that's, a, that's, that's kind of scary right there, you know? I mean, if I owned a boat, I wouldn't let Paul get on the thing. I'd say, no, you're, you're bad luck. So, uh, he talks about three three times he's been shipwrecked, but and there's not a hint of that anywhere in in the in the book of Acts that Luke records. So uh, these omissions then become become noteworthy for us, and it's always uh, dangerous to make a, a theological conclusion based on an argument from silence. But when the silence is deafening, you've got to take note of of the things that aren't being said. And, and why Luke had a, it was not his purpose to record all the hardships of Paul or he would have done a better job at it, right? Uh, he actually overlooked most of those hardships. And he only uh, included a, a, a small number of them and the ones that he included are significant. Uh, it's also significant the political figures that he mentions by name and the political figures he does not mention by name. And uh, that'll be noteworthy as well. And when we get to the, particularly the third missionary journey and uh, what gets left out of the three years that, that Paul spends in, uh, in Ephesus. All right. So uh, join me, if you would, then in uh, Acts 16. Uh, we'll pick up with, uh, well, the end of Acts 15. We'll pick up with the, uh, the uh, disagreement between Paul and Barnabas and the uh, beginning of the second missionary journey. Where we, uh, where we left off on Wednesday. All right, God is spirit. He must be worshiped in spirit and in truth in preparation for the study of the word of God this morning. Let's pause for a moment of silent prayer and call upon his faithfulness to open our eyes this morning. Shall we pray? <coughs> Most gracious Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the truth of your word the privilege that it is for us to assemble together this morning, the grace provision that allows us to be here, Father. Uh, the temperature may be low, but uh, uh, it's dry. The roads are great, and uh, folks who want to be here can be here, and we thank you for that. So, Father, uh, reward the hunger, the appetite, uh, that if those who hunger and thirst after righteousness will be satisfied. So satisfy us today through the, the meat of your truth. I thank you, Father, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Right, of all the examples we've seen so far, uh, we are 
<clears throat> centering in, uh, we've seen six of them to this point, and then example number seven, where we ran out of time on Wednesday, <clears throat> plus I was so hoarse and, and gravelly in my voice, maybe it wasn't understood, <laughs> but example number seven, now I'm listing these as examples, but some of those examples also contain multiple uh, uh, omissions within those examples, and so uh, it's kind of, kind of difficult to number. I could say it could be up to 30 different omissions that, that Luke makes, uh, but we're, we're only going to list them under maybe you know a dozen or so uh, different examples. But as, as in the case here, in Acts 15, verses 36 through 39, we have uh, another example of things that we have to piece together. We have to take the narrative in the book of Acts, and then we can get a fuller understanding with hindsight later down the road by bringing in additional information from Paul's epistles. And uh, the disagreement uh, of uh, Paul and Barnabas that's seen here, uh, Acts fifteen thirty six. after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brethren in every city in which we proclaimed the word of the Lord and see how they are. Because they've had a first missionary journey and they had tremendous fruit in Cyprus and in the Galatian region. And in between, Paul had written a letter to the Galatian region. And obviously, he's got a heart to find out if they're responding, if they're responding to the book of Galatians and if they're responding to the word of God. And uh, Barnabas wanted to take John, called Mark, along with them also. And Paul said no. Paul kept insisting that they should not take him along who had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And you can do the vocabulary study on this and kind of think, well, isn't this kind of a harsh term? It wasn't put quite so harshly uh, back in chapter uh, 13 or 14 when, when, when Mark did leave him. Uh, we were just told that Mark departed. He left uh, the journey there. Uh, but Paul considered it a, a desertion, and he insisted that, no, he's not going to come and, 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 and join us on this trip. And there occurred such a sharp disagreement that they separated from one another. And Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. And so it's interesting to consider, now is this a, a right and a wrong thing? Was, was Barnabas right and Paul was wrong? And did Barnabas have more grace than Paul? Uh, was Paul, you know, it, it, the text doesn't tell us, and I've heard it preached every way imaginable uh, by, by folks that can't prove it one way or the other. I can't prove it one way or the other. Um, you know, uh, I can say what I would do, but I'm not the one that was, that was deserted. I'm not the one that was, that was hurt by the, by the betrayal or, or anything of that nature. And we don't have all the information. And so in some respects, I think it's a good illustration to, to, just, to proclaim the fact that different believers can come to different faith con- convictions for different reasons. And right or wrong, they come to these different conclusions. And uh, Paul says, I'm not taking them. And, and Barnabas says, well, I am. And so what they end up doing is, is going their, their different ways. All right. And they end up uh, going different directions. And, and uh, Paul, uh, Barnabas returns back to... Uh, the Cyprus Island, that's where he was from anyway. He was, he was of Cyprian birth, and so he uh, returned back there with, uh, with John Mark, and then Paul took Silas from Antioch, and they went up here to, to uh, Tarsus. All right. Let's go back. Let's not do that. All right. So John Mark is the focus of the disagreement. Now, later in the New Testament, in Colossians and 2 Timothy and Philemon and 1 Peter, we have subsequent references to Mark. 
all right, later in the New Testament, years later in, in chronology. And uh, in, the, in this, we have positive statements. Paul makes positive statements about John Mark. In fact, he gives written instructions to the church at Colossae when, that, when Mark arrives that they are to accept him and receive him in a certain way based upon the instructions Paul has given, which I find interesting. In Second Peter 4, he's urging Timothy to hurry and to make it to him in Rome before he dies. And he says, bring John Mark with you. See, I mean, think about the list of people you want with you when you're getting ready to die. Timothy is number one on his list, but then he says, bring John Mark with you, for he's useful for service. And that's, uh, that's a tremendous admission to make years later. Uh, thankfully, we have these statements that are being made, and we're not, our last uh, opinion on, on Mark is not limited to what we read about here in, uh, in Acts 15. All right. Moving on this morning then to the second missionary journey. Uh, and, and the numbers are somewhat arbitrary, but we accept them because that's what they're all labeled at. They've been studied, they've been labeled, I, I forget who invented these terms, and maybe nobody even knows who invented these terms, but for centuries, Christians have been studying the book of Acts and have outlined the book of Acts based upon three missionary journeys. And then occasionally they might add a fourth, but they can't agree. Um, but they all agree that Paul and Barnabas together in that, that tour of Cyprus and Galatia, that they call that the first missionary journey. And then Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, they call that the second missionary journey. And uh, this is when uh, they, they first made it to Europe and, and Philippi and Thessalonica and Berea and Athens and Corinth. Uh, the, the tremendous ministry there and basically chapters 16 and 17 in the book of Acts is uh, that, that second missionary journey. And 18 is the second missionary journey. All right. Uh, you might think of it as the Paul and Silvanus plus Timothy tour. And that's not a bad label because I think it helps us to, to orient to the fact Paul was the leader in this. Silas was his assistant. All right. He was a, a prophet by gift and a powerful Bible teacher, we're told. And so you've got a leader and you've got a deputy. You've got an a, a, a executive officer, if you want to put it in those terms. Uh, second in command. And then you have a young man. You've got a young man named Timothy. And, uh, and to me, that's a, that's a great pattern because it shows uh, a structure that can be useful in, uh, in a training uh, aspect. So um, at the end of chapter 15, they go their different ways. Uh, Mark, uh, Barnabas took Mark and they went off to Cyprus. And Paul chose Silas and left, being committed by the brethren to the grace of the Lord. And, and pay attention to those terms, committed by the brethren. What brethren? Well, the flock at Antioch, that they were still the sending local church. They were still the uh, headquarters for these missionary journeys. The first two were both launched from Antioch. And when they're complete, they return back to Antioch to give the report. And this is the pattern that we have. And, and when, when Paul would set up a, a missionary headquarters, uh, this, is the, this is the pattern that we see. It's going to get moved to Ephesus for the third missionary journey. All right, we want to be clear on that as well. But the first two are launched by the brethren at Antioch. And so he was traveling through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. And, uh, of course, that's a land journey. He's going northwest out of Syria uh, through Cilicia and uh, his hometown of Tarsus. Uh, through the, the uh, famous uh, Cilician Gates and uh, up into the Galatian region and uh, then into chapter 16. All right, so Paul came also to Derby and to Lystra a, and, the, uh, and a disciple was there named Timothy, uh, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. 
All right, now the time frame on this is interesting, and we kind of got to do a little bit of guesswork as to his age, uh, how old might Timothy be, or how young might he be, uh, and still be called a man, and, and be called a disciple, see? Um, verse 2 says, he was well spoken of by the brethren who were in Lystra and Iconium, and uh, Paul wanted this man to go with him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those parts, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. And that's a detail that grabs our attention too, because you might recall in Jerusalem, there, uh, there had been an effort to circumcise Titus, and Paul would have none of it. And they, uh, they disputed, and, and Paul took a stand and said, no, Titus is, is a Gentile, and, and Titus will not be circumcised. And, uh, and so that's a battle that was already won. Here in this case, though, for the sake of, of conscience and for the sake of his half-Jewish heritage through his mother's side, they, uh, they did so, and uh, this is the procedure they followed. All right, so um, we get a, a diagram on this, and we'll be referring to this map uh, frequently in the, the various places, but you can see uh, Antioch there to the east, and then kind of a a loop that they did, going first to the northwest and then south and southeast to Jerusalem and then back up north again to, uh, to Antioch. And so we'll be referring to this. Uh, but this region, Iconium, Lystra, and Derby, that's where they were in that first missionary journey. And so it's a return back to those areas, uh, as Paul told Barnabas he wanted to do. And this is where he picks up Timothy, who undoubtedly saw what happened there on that first missionary journey, Right? wasn't mentioned. His name does not appear in, in chapter 13 or 14, but that was his hometown, and that was evidently what he saw. In Second Timothy, Paul admitted, you know, you saw these things. You followed my teaching, my conduct, my purpose, my, affliction, my afflictions, my persecutions, that Timothy had seen all of that. And so uh, these things become important for us as well. So uh, spring of 50 A.D., all right, spring of 50 A.D., ballpark, right? But we know we're headed to Corinth, and we're headed to Corinth during the, the proconsulship of Gallio. And that's, uh, that's where we really are going to have our precision on the dating because we have fixed dating related to that there in, in uh, the secular records, the Roman records of when Gallio was appointed, when he began, when he finished his, his term of service there in, uh, in Corinth. Likewise, uh, when Festus and Felix, when they reigned, uh, we got dates on there in King Agrippa. We've got secular dates there, and so we can pinpoint certain chapters in the book of Acts, and then, you know, we work, the, we work through that. We work around that and, and so forth. So 50 is not a bad date. I think 49 is a great date for the, the conference in Jerusalem of Acts chapter 15. Um, 48 is a great date for the writing of Galatians, just prior to that meeting in, in Jerusalem. 50 is a great date here. Um, point being, though, is when we get to the writing of 1 Timothy, and, and when do you date that? And when was First Timothy written? And when is Timothy pastoring in, in Ephesus? Um, and Paul tells him, let no one despise thy youth. Right? Let no one despise thy youth. So, and you ask yourself, well, at what age would a pastor be despised for being too young? All right. <laughs> and, 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 and then you just try to figure it out. Now, admittedly, it's, it's, it's cult- some of it's cultural. And some of it we're not, perhaps we're going to struggle to understand. What might an Ephesus church member think is too young um, in, the, in the first century? See, 
Uh, when I took Bob with me to the Philippines, he was 16, and the pastors there didn't think he was too young because most of them started pastoring when they were 16, <laughs> all right? And they're in these little villages, and they're, they're pastoring churches, and, and yeah, they're starting off at, at that age. And so they were not shocked at all that I had him with me, that we had uh, that Bob the Father, Bob the Son, and Cliff, uh, that we were uh, there, and, and they thought that was just great. But, you know, you come back to the States, and Bob wouldn't be pastoring a church at 16, not under most circumstances, I don't think. Okay? He's speaking in a church this morning, and he's a little bit older than that now. Um, <clears throat> but as the case may be, let no one despise thy youth. Now, if that was written in, say, 65 or 64, right? Then, and this is, this is 15 years prior to that. So he's 15 years younger than, you see what I'm saying? Than young enough to be despised in, in 1 Timothy. So whatever, that, whatever we guesstimate, that's why I say, you know, he might be 10 years old here. He could be 12 years old here. Because 15 years from now, when he's 25 or 27, is that reasonable for Paul to say, let no one despise thy youth? Or should he be even younger? Is he, you know, like I say, is he 10? Say, the Corinthians despised him. Thessalonians did not. And that's extraordinary too. So we'll talk about that when we get to those, those stages. My suspicion and my, my, my spitball uh, guesstimate is that he was born in 40. He was born in 40 AD. And, uh, and uh, so he's 10 years old here in, in 50 AD. All right. Anyway, um, verse 4. Acts 16.4, while they were passing through the cities, they were delivering the decrees which had been decided upon by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem for them to observe. And uh, remember, as I said, that would have been unthinkable for them not to reference those in the book of Galatians. Uh, but now, uh, having written the book of Galatians, they already are in receipt of the book of Galatians. Now, the conference from chapter 15 is a good follow-up to the book of Galatians to say, look, we talked about this. It's not necessary to be circumcised to be saved. So the churches were being strengthened in the faith and were increasing in number daily. And they passed through the Phrygian and Galatian region, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And that's, that's awesome right there. That is a short little statement, but there's a lot in that statement that uh, we would love for Luke to unpack for us, but that's all we got, all right? The Holy Spirit said no. Now, they're on the road, and they want to go down in there, and the Holy Spirit said no. And you can expect, so we're looking at in this region here, that they come through all this region, and they wanted to come down here into Asia. Ephesus is a huge center. It's, a, it's an economic center, it's a religious center, it's an educational center. In fact, I mean, it's right up there with, with Athens and, you know, uh, 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 Alexandria, as far as a great educational center would be concerned in the ancient world. And uh, clearly, uh, Paul, the apostle of the Gentile, would love to go to, to a place like Ephesus. But the Holy Spirit said no, okay? And, um, and, and these are things that we consider when we... When we survey divine guidance and we explore the will of god for our own lives what are the doors that he closes and just because he closed it this year doesn't mean it's going to stay closed forever because to start the third missionary journey paul's going to spend three years in ephesus he's going to relocate his headquarters from antioch to ephesus and ephesus will become a base of operations 
whereby missionary journeys are sent out, whereby churches are planted, whereby men are trained, whereby a lot of stuff gets done. The Word of God, Scripture gets written in Ephesus. But here at this stage, the door is closed. All right? And the reason why, you know, well, Holy Spirit said so. (laughs) Um, I have a suspicion, but I don't know for a fact. And so it's uh, it's curious to me why why the Lord does that. I, I'm, I'm curious, though, as to maybe perhaps Peter was, was there, another apostle was there, and the Holy Spirit was keeping these apostles from stepping on one another's toes and uh, directing things on that basis. In any event, that's not his only discouragement. Uh, so the door is closed in Asia, and then they come to Mysia. They're trying to go into Bithynia. All right? Bithynia's uh, up in here. All right? And... Uh, the Spirit of Jesus did not permit them. And so passing by Mysia, they come down to Troas. And so it's kind of interesting when you're looking at the geography of Turkey here, the, the geography of, of uh, Asia Minor, they call it. Uh, you know, every other door is closed, and, and where are you? You're kind of at the end of the road, you know? You've reached the end. There's, there's nowhere left except to get on a boat and uh, cross to Europe. All right? And uh, that's exactly what's going to happen here in this chapter. But I love the chapter, and I love all the discouragements. I love the closed doors, because every one of those closed doors is God's grace keeping you out of somewhere you don't need to be and keeping you humble to, to keep your eyes open to where He wants you to be. So a closed door shouldn't be something we grumble over. We ought to, we ought to praise God for it. And He comes to the end of the road, and it's like, well, where are we going now? And... Uh, I already gave it away. They're going to get on a boat. But it, it's interesting then to see what happens next here. Um, they came down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing and appealing to him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. Well, wow, that's got to be the will of God, right? <laughs> you know, every other door is closed. What else are we going to do? We sit here in Troas, and then here's a dream. And then in the dream, a man from Macedonia says, come here to help us. And you think, how ideal. What a, what a perfect uh, answer to prayer. Uh, all these doors are closed, but a door is open in Europe. Let's go to Europe. And, uh, and uh, it's, it's curious to me. Because he's a man in the dream. It's going to be a woman when they get there. <laughs> right? Lydia uh, becomes so uh, welcoming to them and, and is the, 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 the driving volition there that, that accepts them and welcomes them and hosts them in, in the, the ministry that, that begins in Macedonia. Um, so it's a man in a dream and a woman on the ground. And it's, it's curious to me. I, I laugh when I think of these things. Because even when we think we have clear guidance, then... It's not always what we expected by the time it, it unfolds, and by the time we get there. So it's, uh, it's curious to me. All right. Now, everything up till verse 9 has been written, uh, I mean, the whole book from chapter 1 to chapter 16 uh, up to verse 9 has been written in the third person. And then it switches to the first person, the we language of verse 10. So in verse 10, it says, when he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. 
And so it is extremely noteworthy, and it is so noteworthy that everybody makes note of it for centuries now. Commentaries on the book of Acts will, will lock in on the we verses in the book of Acts. And so I did so on uh, my slide, if I go back here. Uh, Luke switches between the we and the they narrative. And notice, he does so without any explanation whatsoever. It's an omission on Luke's part. But we, but we accept the fact that when Luke is writing, and he includes himself in it, that this is where Luke joins the, the, the team. This is when Luke accompanies Paul, starting in Troas. And uh, the we will carry from Troas across to Macedonia, across to Philippi, and then the we disappears after Philippi. All right, because after the, the night in jail and, the, um, and the, the Philippian jailer gets saved in the morning in his household and they, they teach the word of God, then when, uh, when leaving town, it's back to they again. Uh, they left town. So Paul and Barnabas, or Paul and Silvanus and Timothy, uh, they're heading out towards Thessalonica and the we disappears because Luke stays in, uh, in Philippi. All right? As we read between the lines and as we, as we piece these things together. Okay? You know, um, the name of Luke never appears in, the, in, in, in this whole book, right? <laughs> he doesn't talk about himself. He doesn't uh, reference himself in any of these activities, but it's clear it's the same author from the third gospel. It's the same author here. And, uh, and with all the uh, admissions that Paul makes with respect to Luke, the, the beloved physician that travels with him at this time, uh, it's, it's evident that that's who's the author of First and Second Theophilus. Okay? My personal favorite names for these two books. If you, uh, a listing of the we narratives include uh, Acts 16, verses uh, 10 through 17, and then it disappears, uh, comes back again in Acts chapter 20, verses 5 through 15, Acts 21, 1 through 18, and then Acts 21, or 27, 1 through the end of the book, basically, through the rest of chapter 27 and 28. Those are the we portions of the narrative. And so the places where Luke disappears, the places where Luke reappears, and uh, the, uh, the description that we have as Paul travels when he's dispatching different uh, people to different places, and he assigns different people to, to work different missions, and to carry this letter here and go prepare a lodging there and, and uh, throw, the, throw the dogs off the scent by running this way, <laughs> all right? And uh, the ambush is set, so you guys go there and I'll go here, and, and, and different things that they do as a part of, of, of conflict, as a part of uh, being hated uh, and those that, that want to put him to death. That uh, we're going to see he was often in danger of death. That there were those that were seeking to have him put to death. And were seeking to use the political powers of government to do so, just as they did with Jesus. All right? And uh, we've got a lot to talk about as we get to, in particular, Corinth, where the scheme didn't work, because Gallio just laughed at him and dismissed the court and told the Jews to go, you know, pound sand. And, and, but in Ephesus and other places where maybe the Jews had better uh, access and better, uh, uh, you know, strings pulled and, and, and money to offer to the, to the different Roman officials. All right, and that becomes an interesting study as well. All right, off to Philippi then. And this is the first imprisonment that we have. It's, you can think of it as an imprisonment. Does it count as an imprisonment if it's only one day? Okay, yes, it counts as an imprisonment if it's only one day. All right, if you've ever spent a night, I don't want to show hands, but if you've ever spent a night 
in a place that you don't want to spend the night, okay? And uh, you're very, very happy when you see the MPs arrive and, and take you back to your MP unit for different things. All right. Then you understand, a single night in jail is an imprisonment. You are, you are in prison. You are beyond, your, your, your freedom of movement is restrained. And, uh, and so that's what happens here. So uh, we concluded, hey, this is the will of God. Let's go. So putting out to sea from Troas, we ran a straight course to Simothrace, and on the day following to Neapolis. And then Neapolis is the port for Philippi, much as Sancria is the port for, uh, for Corinth. And um, from Neapolis, from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia, a Roman colony. And so as such, it's different from Thessalonica and Berea and Athens and Corinth and all these other places they've been so far. These are actual Roman citizens in a Roman colony on Macedonian soil. And uh, we were staying in this city for some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to a riverside where we were supposing there would be a place of prayer. Now, normally Paul would be in the synagogue. He would wait for that first Sabbath and then go hit the synagogue. Philippi didn't have a synagogue. All right, evidently from this text and from other historical records, you needed 10 men, to, 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 uh, Jewish men, to head up a, an actual synagogue, and they didn't have a population high enough for that. They may not have had many Jews at all. Philippi may have, may have expelled their Jews as Rome expelled their Jews. When, when the decree was issued to expel the Jews, Philippi likely would have done the same thing. So they go down to the river, and uh, thinking they'd find a, a place of prayer, sat down and began speaking to the women who had assembled. And this is where they are introduced to Lydia. A woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple fabrics, a worshiper of God. All right? So you find positive volition where you find it, and, uh, and you thank the Lord. And uh, the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. And we have uh, biblical language here, all right? Opened her heart. See, now I, I realize this gets abused. This gets uh, all kinds of people will talk about, well, God laid it on my heart, and blah, blah, blah. It's not illegitimate, see? Yes, it's abused, but it's not illegitimate. It is a biblical function. If, if God opens your heart to something, if, if, if there's a need and he impresses it upon you to say, wow, I want to do this. This is something I want to do. And he gives you a heart or a compassion or a, or a, a sense, right? I want to host them. I want to, I want to make provision. I want to give. I want to support this missionary endeavor. I want to, I want to, I want to bless this family that's going through a, a struggle right now. Or I want to, whatever it is, okay? It is the work of the Lord on your heart. And this is scripture language that says the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. Pay attention to that too. The, the, what's the venue for this happening? The venue for this happening is you're sitting in Bible class. <laughs> you're under doctrinal teaching. The Word of God is going forth. And in conjunction with that, then, your heart is open to other circumstances that are taking place in life that uh, make it clear that, hey, this is, this is the will of God for me to do. So when she and her household had been baptized, notice she doesn't have to believe 
She's already saved. She's already a worshiper of God, but she's an Old Testament worshiper of God. And now she needs to identify with the body of Christ. How do you identify with the body of Christ? Water baptism. All right. You're going to do the ritual that says I'm in the buried, resurrected and ascended body of Christ. That is the, the bringing them into the body of Christ for an Old Testament believer. And she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. And so she engages what we call a hospitality ministry. She is able to show mercy in the, in the spiritual gift of mercy showing and uh, is able to operate under uh, grace principles of grace giving in, uh, in different provision that gets made in that capacity. We, we dealt with this passage uh, to some detail in the uh, gifts, ministries, and effects class that we had at the end of last year. All right, so what happened as we were going to the place of prayer... Was that a week later, a couple weeks later? How how long did they stay in Philippi? We're back to another Sabbath again, evidently. A slave girl having a spirit of divination met us who is bringing her masters much profit by fortune-telling. And uh, following after Paul and us, she kept crying out, saying, These men are bondservants of the Most High God who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. And she continued doing this for many days. Now, is that many days in a row or is it many Sabbath days that they were going to that river for the place of prayer? We don't know, all right? Again, this is part of the, the estimation we do on, on the time frame for the length of time they stayed here, but for many days. And uh, Paul was greatly annoyed, <laughs> all right? And, uh, which amuses me. And turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. Why didn't he do that on day one? Right? You ever wonder about that? Why, you know, did he not realize it was a demon? Was he not totally clued in? Or what was it? Finally, the annoyance level reached the point. They said, that's it. No more of that. I'm not sure if we can craft a doctrine on the, uh, you know, had it up to here concept, but something. All right. And when her masters saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the authorities. And so, you know, whatever the charge is, I don't know that there's a crime to cast out a demon, but uh, clearly these folks are making money and now it's gone, gone right? Their golden goose is, is gone and cooked. And, and, and so now they want, they want to inflict some kind of revenge upon, upon these guys upon Paul and Silas. Notice, the leader of the expedition and his deputy, his right-hand partner, his right-hand man. Uh, Timothy wasn't grabbed. Luke wasn't grabbed. Any, anybody else that might have been with him, they weren't grabbed, but just those two. And, and that's interesting to me also uh, how overlooked Timothy is, cause, probably because he's so young and, and not viewed as, as a problem or a threat or, or anything. And uh, so they brought them to the chief magistrates and said, these men are throwing our city into confusion, being Jews, okay? Again, if, uh, if they were all expelled, when Rome expelled their Jews, then uh, that might make sense. And also, if, if the Jews don't come into town, they stay down by the river, or they don't, they don't have a synagogue. Anyway, they are proclaiming customs, which is not lawful for us to accept or to observe, being Romans. And so... Um, 
conflict. The crowd rose up together against them. The chief magistrates tore their robes off them, proceeded to order them to be beaten with rods. Now, how many times was Paul beaten with rods? I think it's five times he was beaten with rods, right? It's mentioned there in, in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 11. Uh, this is the first that we've seen, though, in the book of Acts. So what, when did those other four times happen? And when they had struck them with many blows, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to guard them securely. All right, there's an imprisonment. There's an imprisonment. And yet when Paul is defending his ministry, he says far more imprisonments. How many imprisonments do you have to have to be far more than your opponents? I don't think one counts as far more. Okay? You know, and even if they have zero, one is more, but it's not far more. And it, I think it violates the language of 2 Corinthians 11 that we're going to emphasize uh, here in a bit. All right. And so, uh, fastened their feet to the stocks, threw them into the inner prison. But about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God. The prisoners were listening to them. Look at this. The whole new audience they wouldn't have had otherwise. You know, a ministry door is open because that door was shut, right? The soul door was slammed shut, but a ministry door was wide open because there were prisoners in there that could listen, that could hear the gospel, that could get saved. And suddenly there came a great earthquake, so the foundation of the prison house were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's chains were unfastened. And uh, so there you have it. And when they, uh, But they didn't escape, you know? Well, would you? Would you make a run for it if, you know, the doors were open and there you go? Okay. And uh, so that's what the jailer just assumed. He wakes up, he sees the doors are open and draws his sword, was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. You realize how serious it is in, in the Roman world to be deficient in your duties. <laughs> you know, when the, the Pharisees tried bribing the Roman guards at the tomb of Jesus, saying, you know, just report back to, to Pilate, tell him you fell asleep, and the disciples stole the body. And uh, you realize what they were asking them to do? It's unthinkable. Absolutely unthinkable. There's, there's no amount of money in the world that would cover that. And they say, oh, no, we'll, we'll cover you. We'll, we'll make sure Pilate buys it, you know. And uh, I'm not so sure. <laughs> I, I don't think, I think they were just as happy to have those guards killed so that they could continue to, to spread their lies about the disciples stealing the body of Jesus. Anyway, that's back to a different story. Back to this one. Um, Paul cried out with a loud voice, saying, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. He called for the lights and rushed in. See, not only were Paul and Silas still there, everybody else was still there. Can you imagine? Bible class is going so well, and it's past midnight that no one wants to leave, even though the, the jail doors are open. All right. And so, uh, of course, the jailer comes in. He's trembling, falls down, asks the question that I'm sure we all want to be asked seven days a week. What must I do to be saved? Right? What must I do to be saved? And um, the great gospel response there, believe on the Lord Jesus. You will be saved, you and all your household. So this this is an event we're very familiar with and, and very well known and uh, the salvation of this guy and, and his household and, and uh, the, uh, the story that goes with this, I think, uh, is clear. All right, so this is one imprisonment that we have. One. Later on, we'll have an imprisonment in Caesarea for two years um, in, in about Acts chapter 21 or so. 
uh, 21, 22 and following, there's, there's a, a series of trials and a two-year imprisonment uh, in Caesarea. But that's not until, that's not until uh, chapter 21. And then two years in Rome, which we don't get to until chapter 28. All right? So any epistles that are written prior to Acts 21 or prior to Acts 28, uh, they have to be prior to those imprisonments, see? Because he's only had one that we know about in the book of Acts. And yet we know that there were far many more than that. All right, then um, the next day, of course, Paul asks the question. The magistrates, uh, it's time for your uh, uh, magistration hearing. Uh, sent their policemen saying, release these men. The jailer reported these words to Paul. The chief magistrates have sent to release you. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. And, uh, you know, you get your walking papers, you're free to go. And Paul says, not so fast. <laughs> not so fast. You got something to answer for here. This has been a miscarriage of justice. I'm, I shouldn't be subject to this. Neither Paul nor Silas being Roman citizens. So uh, Paul, uh, they've beaten us in public without trial. Verse 37, men who are Romans have thrown us into prison. And now they're sending us away secretly? No, indeed. Let them come themselves and bring us out. You tell that magistrate to come down here and walk me out of this cell. Because as a Roman citizen... He was immune to, to, to this beating prior to the trial, see, as an innocent man. So the policemen reported these words to the chief magistrates. Now they're in trouble. Uh, so they're afraid. They heard that they were Romans. Uh-oh. This is a problem. So they came and they appealed to them. Can you imagine the magistrate walks in that cell door? <laughs> He's not having a good day. And uh, they brought them out. They kept begging them to leave their city. And they went out. Uh, they, notice, went out of the prison and entered the house of Lydia. And when they saw the brethren, they encouraged them and departed. And then chapter 17, it's on to uh, other regions, Amphipolis, Apollonia, Thessalonica. But it's all they, 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 they. Upon leaving uh, Philippi, it's all they. And so we're left to understand that Luke remains behind. He joined them at Troas and leaves them behind at Philippi. Okay, And all of this missionary journey, I, I enjoy it significantly. I enjoy it significantly because they get to Troas and, and then the team that they assemble is extraordinary. As soon as Luke joins the team, what do you have? You got a team of four and what are they? Paul's an apostle. Silas is a prophet. I, can I prove that Luke is an evangelist? Well, he wrote a gospel. Okay. And uh, Timothy is a pastor teacher. And, and so that pattern to me is, is, is remarkable because what do you, ha- you, have a, you have a living illustration of Ephesians 4, 11 and 12. He gave some as prophets, or apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers. See, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ. And uh, it's, it's, it's interesting to me, all right? The, the, the nature of this, of this team. And... Um, I may be wrong. Luke may not be an evangelist by gift, and who knows. But, uh, but the, the point being, though, is they have a great team together, four gifted men, ready to uh, communicate, ready to, to minister, right? And they've got a vision from God saying, come to Europe. <laughs> and you think, what amazing high hopes you would have for the start of a new ministry, for the start of something wonderful. And then gradually what happens? What happens is 
Luke gets left there. Timothy will be sent there by himself. Silas gets left there by himself. Paul's by himself in Athens alone. (laughs) And this team of four is now scattered through four different places. And Paul's in Athens alone, and they're laughing at him. He gives this Mars Hill sermon, and they're laughing at him, and he he gets run out of town. And and when he gets to Corinth then, the, the confession he makes in 1 Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians, he makes the confession. He says, I was with you in fear and in weakness and in much trembling. And he was really at a low point in his ministry. So something that started off so exciting and so positive ended up being very um, discouraging and, 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 and very much a, a struggle for him. Okay? And, uh, and to me, that is just a, it's a beautiful pattern. And it, it illustrates so many things for us because um, all of that team was taken away from him. He's all alone. But God has Priscilla and Aquila waiting for him right there. The two, the husband and wife tandem, that are going to become his, some of his dearest friends for the rest of his, the rest of his days. And, and wouldn't you know it, they just happen to be there. Coincidence, okay? Again, that Calvinist luck. The, the coincidence that is the sovereignty of God controlling everything, right? And so the decree to expel all the, the Jews from Rome is how Aquila and Priscilla ended up in Corinth. And in coincidence, they just happen to be tent makers. Oh, what do you know? Paul says, that's my trade also. Okay, coincidence. Hey, you know, so he stays with them and they're, they're working their, their business and they're making the money and, and, uh, until uh, Timothy and Silas are able to finally join him in, uh, in Corinth. It's, uh, it's an interesting missionary journey. In so many ways, the second missionary journey is, is the crux here of the book of Acts, even more so than the third missionary journey, I believe, in, uh, in laying these things out there. So, we've seen the uh, second missionary journey. We've seen the switching between the we and the they without any explanation. Every switch between we and they and back to they again, every switch that has no explanation is is another omission. Luke just, by inference, you understand, it's when he joined and when he departed, when he joined and when he departed. So every one of those switches is a a Luke and omission. Uh, We have the first recorded imprisonment for Paul. We have uh, 18 months in Corinth. haven't quite reached that yet in our reading, but in Corinth then is where he's going to write First and Second Thessalonians. So, so we've seen three of Paul's uh, epistles, Galatians, after the first missionary journey. Now First and Second Thessalonians during the second missionary journey. And he's, again, the pattern is he's writing two letters this time, not just one, but two letters back to a place he was not very long ago. Because the time frame in between the, the three weeks he spent in Thessalonica and his 18 months in, uh, in, in, in Corinth is a, is a very short time frame. Uh, and I just simply like to highlight that because um, there are people that think uh, the early date for Galatians is, is ludicrous. That Paul wouldn't have written Galatians so soon having been there. That is too recent. He was just there. And uh, he wouldn't write Galatians having been there just, you know, shortly prior to that. Yeah, he would. Of course he would. He did so for 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians. I think uh, we're going to see a pattern there in in other epistles as well. Um, All right, those are the points we haven't quite reached yet. So Thessalonica, they had traveled through Amphipolis and Apollonia. They came to Thessalonica where there was a synagogue of the Jews. 
highlighted, of course, because Philippi didn't have a synagogue of the Jews, but Thessalonica did. And according to Paul's custom, he went to them and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the Scriptures. And all we understand is just for three Sabbaths, for a short week, for a short, you know, less than a month that Paul was there. Explaining and giving evidence that Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead. Now you'll notice this is, this is not a Billy Graham evangelism crusade. He's not going into a place telling a bunch of unbelievers that they need to trust in Christ for eternal life. He's going into a synagogue, presumably that's going to have a, fair, you know, a large number of Old Testament believers. Old Testament believers that got saved looking forward to the coming of Messiah. And now they need to be adjusted to the Messiah who came. They need to be adjusted in their thinking. They need to have a change of thinking. That the Messiah they were looking for, the Messiah who was to come, did come and died and rose again and ascended to the Father's right hand. See, something we don't think about a lot because you and I are never called upon to witness to an Old Testament believer. <laughs> There's nobody today that got saved 2,000 years ago uh, prior to the, the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. But this is uh, uh, an interesting facet of what they had to do every time they encountered an Old Testament believer to say, hey, look at this. You know that Christ had to suffer? You know that Christ had to rise again from the dead? And you show from an Old Testament perspective, say, hey, you know what the book of Jonah was really teaching? You know, And say, hey, you know what uh, the prophets were talking about? You know what Isaiah 53 was saying? You know, and, and going from the, the, the Old Testament scriptures of the death and resurrection of Christ, and then, by the way, now that you see this was a necessity, let me tell you about Jesus, because Jesus did this. And so this Jesus, who I am proclaiming to you, is the Christ. So you have this information, and you get the name of Jesus, and you put it together. See? Which essentially is what Paul went through on the Damascus Road, is it not? His, mo- his one question when the light shone was, who are you, Lord? He had to put that name together with that information that he previously had. And so, some of them were persuaded. Some of them were persuaded. And I think it's vital that we recognize the role of persuasion that precedes faith. That patho precedes pastuo in, uh, in different ways. And they joined Paul and Silas. No mention of Timothy here. He's with them. But he's not viewed as a leader. He's just a kid. He's a student. He's a disciple. He'll be a pastor someday, but right now he's, he's a helper. Along with a large number of the God-fearing Greeks and a number of the leading women. But the Jews, becoming jealous and taking along some wicked men from the marketplace, formed a mob. <laughs> if you ever want to form a mob, that's where you find them. All right? Go get the wicked men from the... You know, go get the street gangs. Get the thugs, Okay? They've always had them, always will. And uh, set the city in an uproar. Isn't that the same thing they did in Philippi? Set the city in an uproar. They're going to do it again in Corinth. They're going to do it again in Ephesus. In fact, it is no small disturbance that they set up in, in Ephesus. Okay, becomes a total uproar at the end of Acts uh, 18. And... Um, attacking the house of Jason. They were seeking to bring them out to the people. And it's interesting, uh, being warned, hiding away somehow. We don't have all the details. And when they did not find them, they began dragging Jason and some brethren before the city authorities. 
shouting, these men who have upset the whole world, they've come here also. So we've seen this pattern repeatedly, and we're going to keep seeing it. Jews don't like what's being said, so they drag them to the politicians, to the courts, to the judges. All right? Again and again and again and again, this is what we see. It's what happens in Ephesus. And, and I think that the pattern we have in Acts 18 is, is one very noteworthy event, but was really the culmination of a long series of such events that happened during three years at Ephesus. And uh, so they've upset the whole world. They've come here also. And Jason has welcomed them, and they all act contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. And so they stirred up the crowd and the city authorities who heard these things. Now, um, it's interesting. The, the procedure here is not to jail them, but to find them. And uh, it seems to work better in a lot of cases. You don't have to, you know, you don't have to feed them or house them or clothe them or pay for them in your jail if you just simply collect money from them and uh, promise them that if, uh, if they're good, they won't go to jail. And uh, promise them, this is like the anti-bail, I think. It's like, you know, bail is when you promise to come back. I think this is anti-bail. This is when you pay money and promise to not come back and say, you know, don't come back to town. Get them out of here and, and don't let them back. And uh, so, they, uh, so when they had received a pledge from Jason and the others, they released them. And so the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night. And this is the, the consequence of paying that fine is that you guys got to get out of town. You got to get out of town now. We don't know how long the money was kept or when the, the bail was finally released or whatever the case, you know. Um, governments are different. They like holding on to your money longer and they, they, they're not eager to return it anytime soon. You know, we put up a security deposit for our detention pond out there promising that we would build a detention pond. And then they tripled the size of it and, and then finally the thing was done. And then how long did it take before they finally said, okay, you can have your, you can have your deposit money. But it was, it was like the next year when they finally released the funds to get uh, our deposit back on that. Um, anyway, so uh, Jason puts up this money to, uh, and they get Paul and Silas out of town. And uh, how long was that tied up? Okay, well, we don't know. But what we do know, though, you know, if all your money or a lot of your money is tied up in something stupid like this, that has an effect. That means you can't use that money to support missionary travels. You can't use that money to support church operations or other things, right? That's why we were told uh, when we get to, to Philippians chapter 4 that even in Thessalonica, the, the, the Philippians were pleased to send gifts more than once for Paul's needs. Thessalonica had, had a cash flow issue here with some of the funds being, uh, being uh, taken in this way. All right, um, let's try to wrap this up. The, the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. Likely uh, Timothy also, just not mentioned, okay? Moral missions. Every time Timothy's omitted, we know he's there uh, because he's going to be mentioned later as having been sent back. It's an admission Paul makes uh, to Berea. And when they arrived, they went to the synagogue of the Jews. These were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica, for they received the word with great eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. 
And that's why we so appreciate the Berean pattern. You got Berean ministries, Berean churches, Berean call, Berean this, Berean that. There's a lot of things that get named Berean in Christian denominations today because of this example. It's noble-minded. Don't just swallow it because your pastor says it, so check it out. Look at the scriptures. See if it's real. Maybe, maybe he doesn't know what he's talking about. See, see what it's in there. And uh, the fact that you can search the scriptures as your proof text, as your validation for anything spoken, means that you have to have a literal hermeneutic and you have to believe in the inspiration of the Word of God. <laughs> that those doctrines of, of inspiration and, and, and uh, the literal hermeneutic are absolutely essential. Without those, you can't validate a speaking ministry by the, the text of the Word of God. And right here we're told it's noble-minded to do so. All right, so therefore many of them believed, along with a number of the prominent Greek women and men. When the Jews of Thessalonica found out the Word of God had been proclaimed by Paul and Bria also, they came there as well, agitating and stirring up the crowds. Well, that sound familiar? You know, not content to just simply have these guys out of our town. We want to track them to foreign cities and we want to bring them back. And we want to, you know, that's, that's what Saul of Tarsus was all about. You know, a guy that would go from Jerusalem to, to Damascus. Why is he so shocked that there's some zealot uh, Jews in, in Thessalonica that would hunt him down in, uh, in Berea? Okay. The shoe's on the other foot now, isn't it, Paul? Yeah, how's it feel? <laughs> They're hunting you down. Know how that works? And so um, immediately the brethren sent Paul, no mention of Silas, and no mention of, uh, oh, there's Silas and Timothy. Uh, so immediately the brethren sent Paul out to go as far as the sea, and Silas and Timothy remained there. And those who escorted Paul brought him as far as Athens, and receiving a command for Saul, Silas and Timothy to come to him, as soon as possible they left. And so Paul was waiting for them at Athens. In fact, he can't stay in Athens. He's going to end up waiting for them at, uh, at Corinth. And then, even before that happens, Paul and Silas are going to decide to sneak Timothy back into Thessalonica. Okay? To send a 10-year-old back to Thessalonica. Imagine. So we'll pick up on this Wednesday night. Because um, I think the, uh, the details that are here are extraordinary and, uh, in that. So... Um, if the Lord provides a voice for Wednesday night, <clears throat> the uh, cedar numbers are supposed to be back in the 10 or 11 range by Wednesday. So we'll see. Lord willing, rapture pending, allergy contingent. We'll, uh, we'll be back Wednesday night to pick up on this study. Father, thank you for your truth. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for all of the uh, applications that uh, the, this uh, portion of the book of Acts is so rich Father, in, in examples and patterns and, and um, principles we learn from to make application with in so many ways uh, for how we operate today. Father, uh, continue to bless this study, this preview of the prison epistles. Father, we know that there is a wealth of, of meat that we're ready to dig into in uh, Philippians and Colossians and Ephesians and uh, in Philemon. Father, and uh, we just call upon your faithfulness to not only bless us individually but corporately. Might Austin Bible Church grow uh, as, a, as a flock, as a lampstand through the, uh, the great doctrine that is uh, in front of us through these prison epistles. And I thank you, Father, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.